One of the games that my daughter and I like to play about once a week is this game where it's just a, a mental imagination game. If we could have anyone over for dinner, who would we invite? And this, this conversation usually crops up after we've just listened to a song that we love or we've seen a movie that we liked. Uh, most recently, it was the musical Hamilton that we watched on TV. And Miranda told me, wouldn't it be amazing to have the cast of Hamilton over for dinner? And I said, yes, it would. And we talked a little bit about what it would be like to uh, talk with them, to ask them questions, to talk about their own life and their story, and just to imagine what that might be like. Now, let's just suppose that we could go in a magic time machine back to the time of Jesus and have a dinner party with him. And we could ask him anything that we wanted. We could ask him what it was like to grow up. We can ask him what it was like to teach the multitudes and to see so many people respond to him. We could ask what it was like to, to walk on water or to, to raise someone from the dead. Those things would be amazing. And it would be unlike anything we've ever experienced before. But what if we got back into that magic time machine and came back to the present and we began telling our friends and family that we got to talk with Jesus and we asked him this question and that question. But what if someone were to ask us, what was the King of Kings like? What do you think you might say? We have a wealth of knowledge about Jesus. In fact, we have four historical, theological biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 89 chapters detailing his life with thousands of verses. And there's one place in particular where Jesus tells us what he is like. And for whatever descriptions we could use, if we miss out on this description of Jesus, we have missed something vital about who he is and what he offers to us that flows out of who he is. There's a book that I'm almost done with. I would highly recommend it to you all. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I got one chapter left, and already this is uh, probably the best book that I've read for this year. Well, anyway, in this he says this, In only one place, perhaps the most wonderful words ever uttered by human lips, do we hear Jesus himself open to us his very heart. Well, we're going to look at what are perhaps the most wonderful words ever uttered by human lips as we unpack our gospel lesson this week. It's going to be found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and we're simply going to call our study, Rest for Your Soul. And so let's just take a moment to pray and ask God to be the one who leads us during this time of study as we open up this ancient gospel account of Jesus and hear the most beautiful words ever uttered on human lips. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here in this moment, um, in this moment where so many of us feel so burdened with life right now, so many of us feel weighed down, so many of us are just tired with the way that things are. We're tired of not being able to be in one another's presence and to hear one another's voices singing and to take communion with one another. Uh, we're, we're burdened by so many distractions and the weight of life right now. And yet, we want to hear more about Jesus and these beautiful words that were uttered by his lips that reveal to us his heart, what he is like in his heart of hearts. And I pray that you would help us to hear what he's, what he, what he's saying in these passages for us this morning and, and drive it home to our hearts. And, and we would ask that you would change us, each and every one of us, even those of us who know what we're going to hear in terms of these words from these lips of Jesus. Meet us in a new and fresh way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
My friends, this week I want to take a, a bit of a detour. It's not so much a detour as it is circling back to something we talked about a few weeks ago in our study on Ecclesiastes. If you've been with us, you'll know that we hit this place in Ecclesiastes and we titled our study, The Heavy Burdened Life. And we looked at verse uh, 13 of chapter 1. It says, It is an unhappy business God has given to the children of man to be busy with. In other words, life outside of Eden, life lived under the sun, trying to find life, meaning, and purpose, significance apart from God is an unhappy business. And you can see here we have a number of different translations that translate it in different ways. But I love the one at the very end, a heavy burden. This is a heavy burden that we have to try to, to find life apart from God. And I think that Jesus intentionally echoes some of the wording of the book of Ecclesiastes, when we come to this place in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in this, this verse here that we're looking at, Jesus gives us really a surprising invitation. He says, Come to me. And in the context of Matthew, this is especially stunning because the context tells us that Jesus is being slandered. He, he confronts those who are calling him names like a drunkard and a glutton, even using the worst slander they could come up with, the friend of sinners. Jesus is hanging out with the outcast, with the misfits of society, with what everyone would call the losers. And he was spending time with them, and they were slandering him for doing that. And so Jesus begins to denounce those cities that he, he performed his deeds in and, and gave his amazing teaching about God. And, and that's the context that we find ourselves. And Jesus is actually being gracious. Right before these words, he said this. And this is the time, uh, the time when he's being slandered. People are rejecting his message. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And Jesus, in a moment of, of perhaps exasperation, frustration, blurts out to God, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. I think we probably see scarecrows around that. The so-called wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. That is, those who, who humble themselves to hear the message of Jesus. And then he goes on to say this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I mean, here Jesus is making the audacious claim that he is the one who reveals the Heavenly Father to us. He's the one who lets us know what the Father's heart is like. And here Jesus says he chooses to reveal the Father to whomever he wills. And it's in that context we get the surprising invitation, Come to me. Come to me. In the midst of those people who are slandering him, in the midst of the people who are rejecting him, Jesus says, Come to me. And what he does here next is, is he doesn't raise the bar so that only a few spiritual elites can ever attain this knowledge of God, but actually he lowers the bar. The universal qualification is all who labor and are heavy laden. This is the invitation. These are the people that Jesus gives the invitation to come to him. All who labor and are heavy laden. 
we do hear those words of Ecclesiastes there. And on one level, there's, there's a surface level fulfillment because all of us labor and are heavy laden with life. Uh, I'm, as I was preparing this, I thought of those words from the theme song of Cheers. It goes, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. And I think that that captures kind of the sense that so many people are, are feeling today. I heard someone this last week say, I am zoomed out. <laughs> and I think that many of us can sympathize with that. Before, if we would say we're zoned out, that means we're kind of checked out. But this person just talking about having so many meetings now in our state of kind of sheltering in place and, and safety precautions. Just do life now through a screen. And he says, I am zoomed out. And I think on a surface level, there's an application for us in that. But there's a deeper level. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who uh, labor and are heavy laden, heavy burdened, there is a, a deeper labor, a deeper burden he's talking about there. And I think Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, really hits the nail on the head when he said this. All of us are haunted by the work under the work, that need to prove and save ourselves, to gain a sense of worth and identity. Here, Keller talks about that drives us behind everything that we do. He says it's the work under the work, to, to prove ourselves, to save ourselves, to demonstrate that, that we are worthy, that we have what it takes to make it in the world today. I'm mindful of that amazing scene in Chariots of Fire where Harold Abraham's uh, one of the uh, contestants racing for the gold medal, has a moment of honesty, of, of fear, of anxiety, as he talks to his friend, Aubrey, just moments before he's about to run the race of his life. And this is what he said. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. Aubrey, old chap, I'm scared. We've labored for this, day in, day out. And for what? And now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? That's an amazing confession. Here as he looks at what he's been building his whole life towards, this opportunity to run and, and get a gold medal. He says he has these 10 lonely seconds to justify his whole existence. And I wonder if some of us feel that burden. It might not be with the race, but it might be trying to prove ourselves in other ways to justify our existence to our boss, to our family, to our parents, to someone from our past who, who told us we would never amount to anything. What is it that we're, we're aiming for, trying to justify our existence? Whatever that is falls under this category that Jesus is talking about. Of, being, of laboring and being heavy burdened. Or what about Sylvester Stallone in that first movie of Rocky, where his character Rocky Balboa tells in a moment of honesty some of his own anxiety. And he said this, Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. I'm talking about that boxing ring and that great fighter Creed. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. Now if I can go that distance, you see, and the bell rings, you know, and I'm still standing... I'm going to know for the first time in my life, you see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. 
here he captures uh, in this in a very real sense that the drive that so many people have to try to prove that we're not just another bum from the neighborhood. This is what he's laboring under. This need to prove himself, to, to demonstrate himself. Or think about that scene from Fight Club. If you saw that movie, there's this place where Tyler Durden says this, We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very angry about it. He actually uses a little bit more spicy language there than I want to be able to share in this moment. But, but I wonder if for some of us, the dream that we wanted to have for our life isn't coming about. Things are not lining up like we wanted to. Maybe we've gone through some very extreme disappointments with our life. And we're slowly learning the fact that what we wanted to do, what we wanted to accomplish, what we wanted to prove, that work beneath the work of trying to save ourselves simply is slipping out of our hands, and we're very, very angry about it. My friends, what are you laboring for? What is that work beneath the work that drives you? That anxiety or that angst, what is that? What is the heavy burden that you are carrying. It's that context that we need to think about our lives when we hear Jesus say to us, I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And here Jesus makes an audacious claim. He's, he's saying that he is the answer to all our striving. He is the answer to that great burden that we carry. And so let me put it maybe just slightly differently. What if deep rest, rest for your soul, came walking into your life on two feet? What would it look like? We would simply say it would look just like Jesus, coming with healing in his hands. And he says, come to me, receive what I have to offer, and you will find rest, deep rest for your souls. And that's why we need to see Jesus doesn't point us away from himself. He doesn't say, go follow these teachings, and if you, if you succeed and get to that, uh, that line at the very end, you will find rest for your souls. He doesn't do that. He says, come to me. And my friends, in hearing this, we hear something unlike anything anyone is saying or has said. I think of the African theologian Augustine who said, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and very beautiful. But I have never read in any of them, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. You know, that's exactly what Jesus does. He says to people like you and to people like me, come to me, all who are weary, all who labor, all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And so that sets us up for the next thing that Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here Jesus is saying slightly differently what he just said. He said, come to me. But now he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Here Jesus opens up his heart, what he's like at the core of his being. He's giving us every motivation to come to him to take his yoke upon us, to learn from him. And he says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. 
That word gentle is translated in different ways in the New Testament. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, The meek shall inherit the earth. In Matthew 21, Jesus is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. Here, that word humble is used in the translation of this word. Also, in 1 Peter 3, the apostle says, The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The three words there that, that translate that same word that Jesus is getting at. Dane Orland, in his work, Gentle and Lowly, put it like this. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. I love that description, because when Jesus opens up what he's like, as he gives us words to understand who he is at the core of his being. He talks about being gentle. And it's not exactly what we would want. Someone who is gentle, who offers for our weary, burdened souls rest. Jesus says he's gentle, but he also uses the word lowly. And it's a word that's translated in other places in the New Testament as humble. Jesus tells us that he is humble, gentle and humble, lowly. Again, Orland is helpful. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has been more approachable than Jesus Christ. I love the way he puts that, because all throughout the gospel accounts, we see people who normally might have stayed away from a religious leader being drawn to him. We've already heard about the slander that Jesus endured, about how he is a drunkard and a glutton and the friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's another place in the Gospels in Luke 15 where the religious leaders are slandering Jesus, sneering at him because he welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, there's something utterly different about Jesus than any of them. He was more approachable than anyone has ever been. And that's a good incentive to draw close to him. Ortland uh, continues, Gentle and lowly. This, according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding. If we were asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. My friends, let me ask you a question. When you think of Jesus, are these words gentle and lowly some of the first things that come to your mind? As you think about the beauty of his character and the majesty of his person, are you at the same time drawn to the fact that he is gentle and humble of heart? Oh, my friends, we need to understand that about Jesus. And if those are not categories that we have, those are categories Jesus wants us to understand. Because he says to us, Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we think about a yoke, we need to think about what people do with animals and placing a yoke upon them to, to plow a field. This is what Jesus is referring to. He says, Take my yoke upon you, because it's easy. And take my, my burden upon you because it is light. When we hear Jesus say, my yoke is easy, we need to hear probably a different word than we hear in English uh, normally translated in this verse. That same word is translated in other places in the New Testament 
as kindness. For example, in Romans 2, 4, speaking of God's kindness, it's meant to lead us to repentance. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And that's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about my yoke being easy. We need to hear Jesus saying, my yoke is kindness. It's so easy. It's, it's kind. And, and my burden is light. And, you know, I wonder if we're meant to hear Jesus almost, um, I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but, but certainly making um, a statement about all other burdens. In his mind, all other burdens are, are heavy. All other yokes are burdensome. They're anything but kind. And so, yeah, we can chase our dreams to, to prove ourselves, to justify our existence. And every one of those is going to end up burdening us. Again, Orlin is helpful. He says, his yoke is a non-yoke. His burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. And those words, I think, are just such a balm to our souls. And so, my friends, our great challenge is not simply hearing these words of Jesus, but believing them and living into them. To learn what it means to grow in returning to Jesus over and over again. To hear in the midst of our heavy burden life that he is the one who lifts that burden. If we but come to him. And so Ortland, in the conclusion of his book, said this. The Christian life boils down to two steps. Number one, go to Jesus. And number two, see number one. You see, when we hear Jesus say, come to me, our hearts should respond, Lord Jesus, I'm coming. When we hear him say, take my yoke upon you, we should say, Lord, put your yoke upon me. I want to feel your kindness. I want to to see the, the, the burden that is really not a burden at all placed upon my shoulders. I want to be yoked to you. And that's really what we have to offer, my friends. There's, there's no ten steps to successful living in this passage. There's simply come to Jesus. And he's the perfect one to come to. That's why Peter would say elsewhere, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. My friends, wherever you find yourself this day, in the midst of this heavy burden life, tired and exhausted from just the way things are, tired and exhausted from the expectations that are placed upon you by others, maybe even by yourself, the invitation is to come to Jesus and to cast our burdens on Him. Did you hear what we sang earlier in our time together? Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on Him. My friends, we're meant to, to put this into practice daily. What if in the midst of our heavy, burdened life, we saw this promise of Jesus as a lighthouse in the storm of life, guiding us home? What if we were to actually put this into practice day in and day out? We don't just come to Jesus at the beginning of the Christian life. 
We're meant to return over and over again, every day, and indeed every hour. There's something that should be arising within us saying, Lord, I need you. I need you to make it through this day. I need you to make it through this life. I need you to free me of this desire that I have that's driving me deep inside to prove myself, to prove myself to this world, to prove myself to you, and to simply receive rest that comes from, from returning to you. And so my friends, what if, what if we saw this promise of Jesus as a lighthouse in this storm of this heavy, burdened life guiding us home? What if we actually lived into it day in and day out? What if these most beautiful words ever uttered by the lips of a human being came to define our life? What if we were really in touch with the heart of Jesus that is gentle and humble? What if we were to to live in light of who He is and to feel His, His yoke, which is full of kindness, and the burden, which is really no burden at all. His yoke does buoy those who come to Him. And so, my friends, may you find in Jesus deep rest for your souls as you continually come to Him, who is gentle and lowly in heart, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you.